People say that a Christian could never vote for Donald Trump. Most of the people saying that, though, they don't know who God is. But could they be right anyway? Welcome to The Conquering Truth. I'm Dan Horn. I'm Jonathan Sides. I'm Charles Churchill. And I'm Joshua Horn. You know, some polls are showing that Donald Trump gets like 80% support among evangelicals for the Republican nomination. This is a man that that doesn't have any Christian testimony. He's a man that has been married three times. The first time he was married, that marriage ended because of his adultery. There's no question about that. He's a man that that is very proud, very arrogant, very wants people to look at him and acknowledge him. And yet he's widely supported by evangelicals. So how did Donald Trump get into the position where so many evangelicals are supporting him? I mean, this is something where, you know, when we were talking about doing this episode, you know, we were saying that it's very likely that a lot of the people, you know, that watch, that listen to the podcast support Trump, um, which I, which is something that I think we find concerning. And so part of it is to address that, but it's also to address you know, the broader question of how can someone like Trump fool the evangelicals or win them over um, to get them to support someone who, if, you know, nine times out of 10, they would reject that person. But then in this case, they're going all in for him. Even even now we're in the primary season, there's other candidates available, and yet still Trump has very overwhelming support. And you look at all the demographics and evangelicals, he kind of has the most support among evangelicals versus any other demographic. So it's not even like his support's the same among white males as it is. No, evangelicals beat it all. One of the things that's really important to emphasize, and I think we talk about this in a lot of different episodes, is how how powerful things like idolatry are, how powerful ideas are, how powerful, like how easily you can be fooled and deceived by things. And I think it's really it's really easy to get in a position because I mean, as we've talked about this episode, as we've we've talked about Donald Trump in many different episodes over the years, I find myself at times being lured in to wanting to defend him in certain situations. There are situations where he's being attacked wrongly, but it's incredible how much influence things can have on you, how much you can get pulled in, and it's really worth it to step back and say, how should I think about this? You should you should not consider yourself to be someone who can't be pulled in a direction, who can't be sucked in by things, who can't be caused to follow after things that you shouldn't. And I think it's just really easy to think of yourself as always being incredibly rational, and I made these decisions, and I've been very careful when in reality, you're you're just as susceptible as anyone else. And this is something, too, where it's not just that evangelicals are making a mistake in supporting Trump. And then they go back and, you know, in four years, whatever, they pick a new candidate. It's something where the support for Trump is actually, like, destroying what, what good f- political framework there was. And it's actually a corrosive influence. It's not just a bad decision, but accepting him is going to lead to further problems. And I mean, like Charles was saying, it's idolatry in a lot of ways because it's not, it's not like Donald Trump is building something very specific. The reality is he's building something around Donald Trump because his policies change all the time. His positions change all the time. He'll go from one speech to another and won't say the same thing. He throws out ideas all the time. I mean, it's not like he's going, I've got this political agenda that I'm trying to move the party in a specific direction. The direction he's trying to move the party is idolatry of Donald Trump. But it's, you know, something too where, you know, when you look at all the millions of hours that people spend talking about Trump, I mean, to walk the right line is very hard. 
because there are good things that he says. There are good things that he's done. And you look at a lot of the people who were, you know, the never Trump and a lot of them have like gone really off the deep end. Right. You know, they're like they basically uh, most of the never Trump Republicans either are now pro-Trump Republicans or they became Democrats. Like there's there's very little middle right, they're ground. They're kind of moderate Democrats is where most of them ended up. Yeah. So, you know, I think... And yeah. moderate Democrats used to be called wacko liberals. We've just <laughs> changed our terminology over the last 10 years. Right. But, you know, I don't... Hopefully everyone will see that we're not going to the Democrat, you know, there, but there is a line to walk where there are serious problems with him. And at the same time, when he was the president, there was, he, should, he deserved honor as president. There were some good things he did as president. So it's, it's a tricky balance to walk and not, you know, get Trump mania or anti-Trump mania. And I think it's really important to recognize it because I do think this is one of the ways that he wins over evangelicals is that some of his, his policies had really good economic effects. And they should have had good economic effects, especially the first three years. The fourth year, I think we should talk about that too, because he kind of like undid it all with blatant incompetence. With the coronavirus. With his coronavirus. But before that, I mean, just the policy of, you know, there's a purpose for government and government isn't to try to dictate every single little thing and go out there and do everything. So if you're going to write a new regulation, you need to delete two regulations. That probably had more impact on the economy than anything else he did. And that's not a bad thing. That's That was a good policy, a wise policy. And, and so we shouldn't, like you said, when we're looking at Trump, we shouldn't go, oh, Trump was just terrible or Trump was great. We should instead go, you know, why are we so interested as evangelicals in supporting him and how much of it is because he helped our pocketbook? Right. And the question of, you know, is he qualified or is he not qualified to, you know, if, if you're going to, if you're at the point where you're in the voting booth, that's a decision you have to make. And there's all kinds of people that have done all, have all kinds of good policies, but they did not deserve to be in the position that they are holding. I mean, and things we're not going to try to do in this episode. We're not, you know, we have an episode where we talk specifically about who should you cast a vote for and what are the principles in Scripture that direct you to cast your vote for. We have an episode where we did one on why are these two candidates, you know, Joe Biden and Donald Trump, why are these the best candidates where we look at kind of America in general. In this one, like you said, what we really want to look at is what has what is it about Donald Trump that has caused people to really to say, we have to have him as our president. We have to follow after him. We have to support him no matter what. He is the one we have to have. What are those things? And can we look at them from a perspective, from a from a scriptural perspective, and understand them, and 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 hopefully understand why we've been led in this direction? Specifically, what are the things that are Christians saying about Donald Trump? And then, what does the Bible say for or against those particular positions, points, right. attitudes? And so I do think that, you know, in First Peter 2, 13 and 14, it says, Therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors, as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. There's a God has the idea of the civil magistrate being very limited. And Donald Trump is way beyond what God says, but he's way less than what the Democrats are saying in terms of how expansive the government should be. And they're also looking and saying, I think a lot of evangelicals are looking and saying, well, you have all these quote-unquote evangelical senators and congressmen, and they don't hold to that nearly as well as Donald Trump does. They're expanding government faster than you can do it. I mean, that was the whole thing about the speaker's race that went on 
is that it's all about everybody's just pretending like they want to cut spending and get government down to a reasonable size. But that's not what most Republicans want. And that's not what any of the Democrats want. And so this this idea that Donald Trump comes in there and actually does something that that is a good thing to do. I think there's a lot of evangelicals that are saying, well, you know, yeah, he's got all these other reasons. Biblically, he's unqualified, but they don't care that much about that. But they go, he's actually standing up and like trying to constrain government. You know, his whole talk about the swamp, which if you take a step back, he was incredibly unsuccessful at doing anything against the swamp. He talked about it. He spun a lot of rhetoric, but you can not get impeached twice. You can't have the FBI coming. You can't be indicted four times. You can't have all these things happen unless you really fail to do anything about the swamp. So people are going, yeah, 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 he was going to do something about the swamp. Well, he was a failure. And I think a lot of evangelicals are looking and saying that the government is huge and we need to do something about it. Well, they're saying Donald Trump's their man because he's going to do something about it. But that's a very naive view. Yeah, I mean, and that's one of the issues is rhetoric versus actually doing things because, he, you know, he hits on certain points and he says certain things. Um, and then you even have the media saying he's doing it, either they're conservative media, they're you know glorifying him or Democrat media, like he's slashing the government. This is the end of the America as we know it. But in a lot of the things he was doing, like, you know, fighting like tearing down you know the deep state or whatever that might be um he didn't actually do a whole lot at a very deep level but you get the he talks about it a lot and arguably he tried to um but and and the media is telling you that he's doing it but it doesn't mean that he actually did it and and it's hard to you know and a lot of stuff it's even hard to know unless you you know, really looking into it, like what was actually done. Cause you know, you see this policy change, but then what are the other hundred policies that are out there that we just aren't familiar with unless we're really in, engaged in it. And part of it is people pretend like they don't know how to solve it. It's not that hard to solve. And Donald Trump didn't bother to do it until he kind of did it when he was leaving office, which is what you do is you redesignate a whole bunch of people that are civil service and you redesignate them as political appointees, because basically you come in and change a half a percent of people in the State Department. It's not going to change any State Department policy at all. You change a quarter of a percent of the people at Department of Justice. It doesn't change the Department of Justice at all. But these people that are making political decisions, they need to be political appointees. So Donald Trump didn't bother to do that until he was about to leave office. That's actually the solution. Everybody knows that's the solution since Teddy Roosevelt. It's not like a secret how this happened. Is we decide to create civil service so that you have – a you know, we're run by a bureaucracy rather than a republic. And what you have to do is you have to roll that back. And so he was pretending to do things about it, but he didn't bother to do them when he was in there for four years. Even when you were talking about him wanting to reduce government spending, I actually don't think he was very good at reducing government spending. I mean, he reduced a lot of government regulation. But if you look, I mean, Donald Trump wasn't against government spending. In fact, I mean, most years that he was in office, spending wasn't really down. And no, no year. No year. Right, was I was saying, and, and, yeah. and the fourth year in particular, I mean, and you can, like I said, we'll get to that to talk about in particular. But in every year, he, he wasn't, he was not against spending. The, the one thing that he was very much against was specific government regulation. You, like you talked about coming in with an attitude. The only thing that you could really clarify that he had a philosophy on and that he actually that he did with hard. any discipline and, and with any success was reducing government regulation. 
Well, with the exception of, of foreign policy. It's really hard to say he didn't have foreign that, policy successes. He had that's great foreign policy successes. I agree with that as well. Right, but, yep. but when, he, you know, when he's running for office, he's promising a balanced budget. And he, and he just doesn't try to do that. Right. And, you know, COVID, it just balloons massively. But this is not a COVID problem. He was not trying to do that at all. And that's something that if you intend to do, that is would be incredibly difficult. With the amount of spending you have to cut, that'd be incredibly difficult. And he just had no intention on actually fulfilling that promise. But we're so used to our politicians lying to us, nobody holds that against him. Right? And and that's what I, really... I <laughs> I say nobody in a not not a pure sense, but very few people hold that against him, and and that should be really concerning for the church, because the you know Christ is the truth, and you're going and and there's people even in the evangelical community that are going like Donald Trump's a Christian, but he lies constantly without any hesitation. He's not a Christian. The sign of being a, a Christian is you walk in the truth. And he doesn't walk in the truth, but but Christians will turn around at a man that clearly has no interest in the truth unless he can use it to manipulate. And yet they go, oh, yeah, he's so truthful and so honest. And it's like, you've got to be kidding me. Like you said about the balanced budget, he never even considered doing it. He throws policies out there all the time where it's just it's just fodder for people to that they hear what they want to hear and they vote for them and they don't at, care at best. I mean, on that point alone, and you could probably say this for anything we say down the road, but on that point alone, at best, what a Christian could do would be hold their nose a little bit and say, well, I'm going to vote for him because he lies less than the alternative, you know, make some kind of a pragmatic argument. And I'm not advocating for right. that. And, and, you know, seven years ago, there was some of that, I'll hold my nose and vote for him. But that's not the sort of attitude that we see now. His popularity among evangelicals is increasing. Right. It's and a, yeah, and we're in the primary. Right now, anyone could be the Republican nominee, and he has massive support. You know, it's not a lesser of two evils. We only have two options on the ballot. Right now, you know, if the evangelicals went behind anyone, they would be a major player in the Republican primary. And as we talk about all these things, right, I do think it's really important to tie these back, that Christians aren't thinking like Christians. When, when Jesus Christ came, right, the, the scribes and the Pharisees, they were all worried about monetary things. That was how you worship God, was with monetary things. And, and Jesus Christ says to them in Matthew 23, 23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. So the church is willing to, the evangelical, broad, visible church, is willing to get behind Donald Trump because of money, because he improved the economy, because he helped all these things. They don't care about justice. He wasn't very good on justice. They don't, certainly not mercy and faith. And so the church in evaluating him is neglecting the weightier matters of the law. And that's a serious charge, right? When we think about it is that the person who comes in and says, I'm going to do justly, and I'm going to, to change the system so that it starts to work in a more just manner, that's, that's important, more important than whether he increases you know, the rate of growth of the economy is 1% or 3%. But yet we're far more interested in whether the growth of the economy is 3% or 1%. And we should just recognize that that God's response to that is you're all hypocrites, and that's a serious charge. I mean, you just did an ep- we just did an episode on Israel and Gaza, 
And one of the points we were really trying to make in that episode was the Palestinians chose certain things. They chose the policies of we're going to we're going to let soldiers be among our civilians. We're going to go all in. We want to destroy Israel. And the truth is, is when their children died, they chose that. And I think one of the points you're making, I mean, is we just forget that when we choose, I want money and I don't care who I have to get behind to do it. God's going to judge us and we're choosing that judgment. That is what we're choosing. And we shouldn't fool ourselves. We shouldn't lie to ourselves when our children one day lay dead because we have chosen evil. We chose that. And I think that's just, I mean, I think that's something that it really Sowing and reaping, we really have to hold to that as a biblical concept. And I think we just really, I mean, in the end, we we are not thinking about what we're choosing with him. We are are only, we're just like a child who all they see is the candy that they get. All they see is the pleasure of the sin for the season. All they see is the good thing they get out of it. And they're totally ignoring the evil that comes with it. And I think that's, I mean, I see myself... I could see myself in the last election. I did not vote for Donald Trump when he ran, but I was glad he won, and the reason I was glad he won was because it would help my pocketbook. You mean in two elections ago? Two elections are you ago. saying in 2020 well, well, he won? He won in 2020! That's Charles. Charles just came out. <laughs> election day, he was stolen. Um, <laughs> Sidney Powell unleashed the Kraken. Um, <laughs> but I mean, no, yeah, when he, he just unleashed her checkbook. That's another story. Right. But I mean, when, he, when he won the first election, I didn't vote for him. But I was glad he won because I, I was sure it was going to help my pocketbook. And there was a part of it where I should have – I mean, and I, there, it was a mixture of things. I could see – but there was a part of it where I kept coming back. I could feel myself going, thank goodness that he got in there because it's – I'm going to reap these benefits from it. But I knew I was ignoring – I was ignoring the damage that it was going to cause. And we look at it and Donald Trump, right, we're concerned about money. But Donald Trump reduced the – or increased dramatically the level of vulgarity that was acceptable in our culture, in the public vulgarity. I mean, he just skyrocketed it. So how much? How do you weigh those things? I mean, we. But I think the evangelical church is not counting any of that. It doesn't say, well, now everybody swears on television, directly related to Donald Trump. There's no question that's directly related to Donald Trump. That he, by the words that he was using, he made that the new societal norm, which is how the laws are based. So. That was pure Donald Trump, but the church doesn't go, this is a really crude man that just made our culture vulgar. They just go, but he helped our pocketbook. And the thing is, the church became a lot more vulgar. I mean, what we did, you know, there was the let's go Brandon, and people know, and they're laughing openly at the fact that they're, they know what joke they're making, they know what they're saying, they know what, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. things that they would have been, they would have been ashamed of doing 10 years ago. And they're teaching their children that that's acceptable behavior, which means in 10 years, 20 years, their children will be doing things that are 10 times worse. That's right. They usually won't be, say, they won't they be won't using be the euphemism. They'll be saying the actual words. Right. Or worse. Right. I mean, I think one of the other big reasons that people like that, that people went for Trump is abortion. And I think that's one where people probably look back. The people who, who were single-issue abortion voters, they're going to say that was a great choice because now Rover, he appointed judges that overturned Roe versus Wade. So does that that mean that he deserves a we should reelect him so that because he you know he he stopped abortion? Well, I think that that the simple answer there is his stated position is that we should have the same laws as the European nations have, which is about abortion 
open access to abortion until 15 weeks. He calls himself pro-life, but he's no more pro-life than the liberal countries in Europe. He's very, very much not pro-life. So even if you say, hey, it worked the last time, to say it will work this time, his position this time is in a lot of states like Florida, for instance, they should start murdering more babies. That is his stated position. So we have to be really careful. Why would you vote for him, even if you liked what he did in the first time? And I'm not saying that he actually did it, which is, you know, you look at Ronald Reagan lied. You look at George Bush lied. You look you at know. who he was going to appoint, his liberal Democrat sister. Right. But, you know, he had staffers who were able to convince him you got to pick from this list, and he did it, which is, you know. Well, it's more of the Federalist Society, I think, than just directly staffers. Well, sure, but way. I'm lumping that in there. Right. But so, so yeah, one of the things is he's pretty easily manipulated, So, but I'm not sure that you can turn around and go, we should be giving him a lot of points for 2024 because his position for 2024 is very much against the pro-life position. But yet evangelicals, evangelicals are saying, yes, we need to vote for him because he's pro-life. No, he's not. It's one thing to look at what happened and say, this was good. Right. And to thank God for that and then say, but that doesn't mean that this is a qualification that requires me to vote for him in the future or to trust him in the future because I don't think he's a principled man. I don't think that he's going to be making principled decisions on these things consistently down the line. And therefore, I'm not going to base, you know, past performance is no guarantee of future returns with Donald Trump. Right. I mean, you have Cyrus as the Jews back. Does that mean you now vote for the pagan Cyrus? And he paid for the temple to be built. Uh, yeah. And then he just bowed down before another hundred gods. Other than that, he was a great guy. But based on where most evangelicals are, I don't see how they wouldn't vote for Cyrus. I mean, yeah, and but we're not saying, and we're not even saying vote for Cyrus when you have two options. We're saying pick Cyrus <laughs> out of anyone. Another thing that Donald Trump did that I would say, you know, from a from a my perspective that I think was was good that he did was he actually constrained immigration in some ways that where you know if you look at our episode we did on immigration where we're actually pretty we're pretty much more pro opening the border in certain ways, but if you want to open the border, you're going to have to change policies in the United States. And Donald Trump kind of basically said, you can't play games with these things. If you're going to do it, if you're going to have the policy the way you have it, he kind of pushed to the logical conclusion and said, you have to follow the procedures we have in place. And he forced, he forced that to be done. And there was an ugliness to the border that was, you know, I mean, there's a part of it where it's like, you have to do with, deal with these things. And he caused, he caused, certain types of immigration to go down where it was good that it went down. And he, you know, so, I mean, I, th- I mean, there were real things that he did about immigration that were actually very beneficial. And he was willing to, to push Mexico really hard to do that because basically he got stay in Mexico, which was the whole thing, right? Everybody comes over as a claims asylum, even though they don't have any, le- 90% of the time they have no legitimate asylum claim. They're let loose. I think now they're giving them court dates and like, 2034 or something like that. I mean, it's like 11 years behind, and then they don't show up for those court dates. And Trump said, well, the solution to that is just force them to stay in Mexico. And he said, we're going to shut down transfer of money to Mexico unless you do this. So all of a sudden, Mexico is really quick. And so it's one of those things that nobody else had the guts to do it. Right. Because it's not that hard of a solution. And just like he promised, he built a wall on the whole border and got Mexico to pay for it. He got, well, Joe Bi- he got Joe Biden to fund money for it. <laughs> well, that's not what he said. I know, I know. If he had said that, that would have been impressive. But he didn't say that. 
And, you know, the other thing that I think another reason why evangelicals support Donald Trump is his foreign policy, and specifically the Abraham Accords, that in a lot of ways he moved the, the capital to, to Jerusalem. The embassy to Jerusalem. Excuse me. He moved the embassy. He acknowledged, acknowledged the Israeli capital was actually in Jerusalem, so he moved the embassy there, and which is something that, Back, I think even back to Reagan that they were talking about, but never would do it because they, and then Trump does it. And then you also have the Abraham Accords where he's creating these agreements between Israel and a lot of other Arab states. I mean, like I said before, if you look at his success, I mean, I think he was had enormous success in foreign policy. And especially when you're evangelicals that you think Israel is the chosen people of God rather than than the chosen people of God being the sons of Abraham by faith, which is what it says in Romans. Other than that, you know, if you're looking at, if your doctrine's wrong about who Israel is, then all of a sudden you say he will bless those who bless Israel. So therefore, obviously we should vote for Donald Trump because we're going to be blessed by God because he blessed Israel because he really was a blessing to Israel. And, uh, you know, forgetting that, that nation that's called Israel, he did bring much more peace and you see how badly it decayed once once he left office. But he really did bring peace and stability to that region in ways that hadn't been there for a while. And if I recall, he didn't get us involved in any foreign wars. Right. <laughs> which is, I don't remember the last president we can say that about. And I think it's it's really, mm-hmm. we should, from a you know, pro-evangelical perspective, we haven't been involved in any foreign wars since World War II. The rest of them are just the government going and committing murder because right. that's what constitutionally it is if you don't declare war. It's you're going and committing murder. And so he murdered less people than other presidents. No, his attitude towards like <laughs> drone strikes and things like that. That's why I said murder murder? less yeah. people. Right. Because it wasn't, he didn't any, go it to... wasn't any new foreign combat. Right. No, I agree. He didn't, and he didn't escalate. What was going he on. didn't. He, he most did. of them he didn't. I mean, he escalated against Syria for a little bit. But then it actually came down, and most of the other ones he did de-escalate. I mean, you have right. to—he murdered fewer people than Bush did, he mur- than Clinton, than you know Obama. I mean, but his position on murder was still he had the right to. Right, he still believed he had the right to commit murder, and and that's—I mean—and and for and, evangelicals that are even saying, yeah, we should be careful about these things. That that is inherently unjust. And when God says, when Christ said, you know, remember the weightier matters of the law. To go and murder people with your army without declaring war is unjust. Forget any doctrine of unjust warfare because the doctrine of unjust warfare says it has to be legal and it's illegal what we do all the time. And yet we turn around and go, it's, you know, this is war. No, it's not war. It's murder. And I think that's, that's part of what you're saying is like with immigration, the way to affect immigration was to force people to follow certain rules. It was to push on those things. But in an area where he didn't want to, he just didn't. Right. And so, I mean, this is part of the issue. And I understand, I mean, you're dealing with a lot of people who go, but there's nobody out there who's principled. But the issue is, is... Why do you have nobody principled? Right. Because well, if you, in the primary you're not willing to vote for principled people, don't complain that there's nobody principled. That's who you wanted. Right. Because it's we... like Hamas, which is the example you used before. They say, oh, we don't... We didn't vote for terrorists. Yes, you did. And we vote for... it unprincipled people when you have another choice and nobody wants to make that choice they all want to vote for unprincipled people and then they go oh yeah we're evangelicals we didn't have any choice lesser of two evils blah 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 it's it's just not true 
I mean, this is and this is one of the things that I think Christians are just incredibly hypocritical about, and I find myself being hypocritical about it. But there's a part of it where when they go, you're throwing your vote away, you're doing these things. But we teach our children, you do the right thing no matter what the cost. You do it, and God produces the increase. I mean, when I was growing up, I would see people, my, my parents would tell me stories about, you know, here's a person. They're put in a position. Everybody else is doing evil. Everybody else is doing it. What should the person do? What should they do? They should do what's right. They should do what's right, and God will bless, and God will give result. It is This is faith. This is Gideon. This is every story that we have ever seen in Scripture where God turns things around. It is because a very small number of people say, I will do what's right. And then we turn around and we go, but there's no way we're going to get back in authority if we don't vote for somebody out there, so we're just throwing our vote away if we, you know, if we vote on principle. And it is just, it's just the most bizarre thing. And I just, I mean, it drives me crazy because— I understand the lure, but that's literally the lure. I mean, that's it. The lure you, is walk by sight rather than faith. Right? That's it's, the lure. We've already identified it as sin. We've already said we know it's sin, and then we go, well, but i got to do it anyway. And so, I mean, I just, this is just, it, it kills me, and I don't know, I don't know any other way to say it. The sense of what I'm saying kind of ties into one of the next points we want to go to, which is that Donald Trump ties into people's the Christian sense of perceived persecution. There is a part of it where we know that there will be enmity between Christians and the world. And Donald Trump, like you said in the beginning, he's a proud man. He's brash. He's, he fights. he's as worldly as you get. Right. And so, but when he gets into – when he's willing to wade into fights, when he's willing to wade into battles, when he does this, when he's attacked, we have this sense of going – we can identify with him because we feel like we're persecuted – He's persecuted, and there's just this fundamental connection. And he, whether it's by strategy or by being fortunate or by the nature of what he is, he falls into that position, and Christians go, I identify with this guy. And, and there's a common enemy, you know, the liberals. Right. There's a common enemy, the liberals, but just the definition of who liberals are, Donald Trump it, falls into. In reality, the there's no common enemy. <laughs> no, but, no, I'm not disagreeing yep, with yeah. what you're saying. I'm just saying is what we've done is we've twisted it so much. And I think it's actually slightly different. I think everybody knows what, what we're supposed to do, right? We're supposed to be like Peter before the Sanhedrin who says, I must obey God and not man. We all know that we're supposed to be bold and that this is a commandment. The word to be bold, but yet most Christians are not bold at all. They they're and so then they see Donald Trump acting boldly, and they go kind of like, "Well, that's who we're supposed to be like." So even though he's doing it in the wrong way, he's doing it in the wrong times. I think there's a certain sense that they're going, "That's what a Christian's supposed to be like," and I'm really not like that. So he must be a super Christian, even though it's just this boldness. Right, because I mean, the Bible is filled with, you know, stories of bold men: right. Daniel, Gideon, Jesus, Peter, Paul. Should we keep going on? We can just keep naming names, and and so there's this call to boldness that I think that that the evangelicals are, in general, failing to do broadly, and so they see Donald Trump being bold, and they kind of go like, he must be one of us. He's doing the right thing. Yeah, and there's a part of it where. You know, we can look at Trump and see how he's lied about and say, well, they're lying about him. He must be, might be persecution. Like, because they, they take anything like they, the most recent one was, you know, he called Hezbollah very smart. So he supports terrorists. Well, calling your not enemy what he smart, said. <laughs> calling your enemy smart is, I mean, 
it, it's not saying you support them, but you know, there's a million examples of that where that they lie about what he says, and he says all kinds of outrageous things. But in, but then you know, we're distracted by the fact that they call him out on a bunch of stuff that, in fact, is not objectionable. And then we're distracted by that, and we end up sympathizing with him when he doesn't deserve it. And we should read Matthew 5, because it's important to recognize when God says you're blessed when they do that. You're not blessed just if they do that. It's not some universal blessing. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. That's not why Donald Trump is being attacked. He's being attacked because he's proud. He's being attacked because of his position. He's not being attacked because he's walking in righteousness. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I think there's a lot of evangelicals that they go, oh, he's being persecuted. They're lying about him. They're saying all these false things. So somehow this is a blessing from God. No, it's only a blessing from God if it is for the name of Christ, and he's not being attacked for the name of Christ ever that I've ever seen because he he doesn't hold up the name of Christ in any way. and But yet people see him being attacked and they go, well, this is like Christian persecution. No, Christ, that's not Christian persecution. That's Christian judgment. Christian persecution is where you are exalting the name of Christ and because of that people attack you. But we kind of forget all that and just go, that's what it looks like to be persecuted. No, that's not what it looks like at all. I mean, I actually, I think it's really worth, I want to slightly correct something you said a minute ago. You said they attack him over silly things, and we we think he deserves kind of like our sympathy, but he doesn't. The answer is he does deserve our sympathy. He doesn't deserve to be followed. Right. And that, and I think that's it is we're, we're in this point where we're conflating sympathy for someone who's out there getting attacked and going, therefore, he should be our leader. And we're not even questioning the fact that he went out in front of us and said, I should be your leader. I mean, it's a really big thing for someone to walk out and go, you should follow me. I'm going to take you somewhere good. I'm going to take you somewhere right. I know what's right. And this is why you've got to get back to the money thing is because the only qualification Donald Trump ever had to even say I could take you back somewhere right is related to money. That's it. There's no morals. He had no moral qualifications whatsoever. So this is really where, as a Christian, you should, I mean, you because, re- I mean, I see myself do it. I see myself, and I do have sympathy for him, and then I want to go, but maybe he'll be, the, maybe we should make him the nominee again. <laughs> and it's crazy how it works. And I think that, I think evangelicals don't understand what persecution is. So they they just look at him and go, you know, you look at Charlottesville, right? That's a good example. He said, I don't mean the the neo-Nazis, or I forget what term he used, but I don't mean the neo-Nazis when they're say when I say there's good people on both sides. And they edit it out, right? I mean, they completely and totally lied about it the whole time. Right. And so they go, well, that's like Paul being persecuted. No, it's not, because it was all just about his ego, and it was about – it had nothing to do with Christ. But yet at the same time, I do think you're making a very good point, which is – yeah, what the media did to him was horrific. And we should really go, why are we listening to any of this media? They should be forced off the air. Why is anybody listening to this garbage? Because they so openly lie. I mean, they'll stand there and they'll, I remember even in Fox News, the 
the guy who moderated one of the debate that said, Donald Trump interrupted first. Well, no, actually, he and Biden had interrupted seven times before Donald Trump interrupted anybody. It was just a bold-faced, blatant lie, no question of truth. So why is anybody listening to these people? Right. That's what you should take away from it, not that you should follow somebody who they're doing that to. Right. Just because they're doing that to somebody, that doesn't mean that that person's righteous or that he's good or he's a good leader, any of that. It doesn't mean any of that. But yet they look at it and they go, well, this is happening. This is what Christian persecution looks like. I mean, I think another big area where people you know, sympathize with him and then say, therefore, I need to vote for him is saying that the 2020 election was stolen, um, which <clears throat> I think is an area where he has done tremendous damage to the country by – you know, instead of instead of pointing at real, you know, injustices in the law and things where things were, you know, changed because of COVID and things like that. And instead, before the elections even held, he says they're going to steal it. And then he says they steal it by promoting all kinds of false, you know, made up stories or stories that when you do a little research into them, they fall apart. But even assume that the 2020 election is stolen. People think that, well, because the election was stolen from him. Therefore, he needs another chance. Like this, it's not how it works. You don't you don't get a free chance because they stole it from you once. I mean, still you have a responsibility to choose someone who's qualified and who's the best person to do the job, not someone who something bad happened to him. And people act like these things matter. I know that like Glenn Beck, I think it was Glenn Beck. No, 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 it was Tucker Carlson did this big thing about how Obama was net. Sheriff Joe out in Arizona has now proven that Obama is not a U.S. citizen. Exactly what does that mean now? It means nothing. Like nothing. Who cares? He was already president. Right. But yet somehow this is supposed to overturn everything. And this is – no, who cares? It's completely irrelevant. And maybe he could get him on fraud charges or something, although he's not a sheriff anymore. But, you know, but yet people look and they go, well – if what happened in 2020 or what happened in 20, 2008, you know, we can somehow go and fix that. No, no, no. It's done. You don't get to go back in time and change things. What you can fix is you can fix your policies, You can, I mean, which, which people really aren't – they're not wanting to focus on and actually think about. I actually think in, in a lot of Republican-led states, they did a pretty good job of tightening up their, their election security. A number of them. right. What I'm saying is, but the, Donald but Trump wasn't pushing upset, them. Right. The people who are upset about it aren't frequently thinking about it in that methodical way. And the Donald people who Trump, want to get elected are. Donald Trump is not trying to solve the problem. Right. He's trying to raise an issue and trying to to get an emotional following. He's trying to get you should be sympathetic towards me instead of going. Well, here's where things were broken. Here's where this state should change it, and then go to that state and campaign for it and push it. Right. If he was actually a politician that wanted to lead and wanted to to have any claim at anybody to follow him, those are the things he should have been doing instead of just whining. Yeah, because, I mean, for him, it's not about election security. For him, it's he is very proud and he has to win on everything, which means if he doesn't win, he either redefines victory and claims victory when he hasn't won, or he has to say, they stole it from me illegally and unjustly. I mean, those are, you know, he's not willing to admit defeat. So those are his two options. I mean, I don't think there was any, you know, I don't think it mattered what happened in 2020. He was going to say the election was stolen. And if he becomes the nominee, whether or not he becomes the nominee, we're going to hear the 2024 was stolen from him. That's how it works. So, I mean, you just mentioned that 
his reaction is really related to his pride. We've talked about this many times. It's worth reading a Bible verse about pride. Just First Peter 5, verse 5. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And there's a sense in which a lot of what we're talking about is step back from things for a moment and recognize that there is a story going on here. Anywhere you you go and you read your Bible and you read about what's happening to kings, it's saying, look at what God's doing to this person. Read First and Second Samuel. Read First and Second Kings. Read the read the Book of Daniel. Read your New Testament. Read what Peter's been saying about you know the reason that you submit to these people is God put them in place. And so, if you think about that, if you can think about your political leaders as God put these people in place because He's telling a story, and recognize the story He's telling with Donald Trump is I resist the proud. And no matter what bits and pieces of him you might like, you have to say he's a very proud man and he's suffering in large part because he's proud. That's really obvious that what's happening to Donald Trump in many of these things is he's a proud man and God doesn't tolerate pride like that. And I think that's really important to recognize just how many of the problems in his administration were caused by his pride. For instance, he was impeached twice. Both of them were because of pride. Now, granted, the first one, it looks in hindsight that Biden was also trying to cover up, right? Cover up his own crimes with Marisma and stuff. That seems likely that they're, that the Democrats were trying to cover up Biden. But even so, his words, the way he responded, the way he acted, all of it was antagonistic to push them to the point where they impeach. And certainly in the, the second impeachment, he was impeached because he was proud. That's what it comes down to. He was impeached because he was proud. And and God's resisting it. And then Christians turn around and go, it was unfair for him to be impeached. Well, no, this is, you know, this is, yeah, it wasn't just for him to be impeached. We've done, was, we've done episodes talking specifically about the injustice. But you can't come back and then go, he had no sin in the right. matter. It was fair that he was impeached because God was the one that was resisting the proud, even though it was unjust the way they did it. And those two can both be true. God was not being unkind to Donald Trump to impeach him twice. He deserved it. He's a, he's a proud man that came in with a huge amount of arrogance. The way he treated the FBI, I mean, he he should have done things to clean it up if he was going to deal with it. But instead, he insults them on one hand and insults all the people that are in Washington on one hand. And then he turns around and goes, I can't get anything done that I want to get done. Well, maybe if you start out by not insulting all of them or you actually did something about it to do it, instead you think you can insult them and get away with it and not have any effect. That's not what it looks like. That's not the effect of pride. I mean, and that's I think that's a really key thing because there is a part of it where we've talked about the fact that there are Christians who are bold. The people who are saying you shouldn't be proud, the picture they paint is of a, they, you know, what they want is they want someone who's milk toast. You know what I mean? They, they argue. Right. And, and so there's this, you have this dichotomy. God is saying Christians can be bold, but they, they are never supposed to be proud. And we, and we, and the po- problem is, is we have a duty to be bold. I want to like be more blunt in pride. We enjoy watching the results of his pride. This is why Jesus infuriated people. This is why Moses infuriated people. They were meek. They were bold. 
They didn't just challenge sin in a certain area. They got things done. They pushed things. But they they infuriated people. You you would not have liked, you wouldn't have been comfortable around Jesus if you were a sinner, in a sense of if you were married to your sin, if you loved your sin. And we just, we like Donald Trump because he frustrates our enemies, but he does it by sinning. John the Baptist is a really good example of what you're getting at there. He was so bold that people went out into the wilderness to see him. I mean, they, Jesus even said, what you got to see? You know, a man dressed in soft clothing. You went out there because he was putting on a show because he was calling names that he, you know, and he was bringing receipts. And then Jesus shows up and he says, I'm not worthy to untie your sandals. And then his disciples start following Jesus and people say, well, were well, you going to do anything about this? He's like, no, he must increase. I must decrease. You know, that's the kind of person that that is is boldly, it is properly bold and yet humble before God. And there's no contradiction between the two. Right. And you look at, you know, talk about loving his pride. I mean, one of his big, uh, you know, rallying cries during, you know, his election was lock her up. You know, we're going to lock up, you know, Hillary Clinton, which something that did, did he have any intention of doing anything? Uh, You know, it's hard to say he does. Obviously he didn't lock her up. We don't know. I don't think he really made any effort to do that, but it's something that he's putting out there all the time. And then now he has all these indictments against him. Not that they're just what they're doing. They're either, you know, unjust or very destructive to the country at a minimum. But you look at God's justice and according to man's justice, they're unjust. According to God's justice, he was calling for this for his political enemies just as a political talking point, not as a way to say this is actually a crime that is unjust and needs to be punished. And now he's reaping what he sowed. And let's be serious. Evangelicals were chanting along. Lock her up. Lock her up. Because they don't care about the weightier matters of the law. What do you scribes and Pharisees? Hypocrites. You don't care about the weightier matters of the law. The people that were chanting, lock her up. It's one thing to say she should be investigated and indicted if she actually committed crimes and be put in prison 100% for that. But where you're just saying lock her up, the chant is let's skip all process and just throw her in prison. Well, that's that's incredibly unjust. And But evangelicals were chanting it too, and we should just recognize how evil that is in the sight of God to be chanting that. And to, whether it's Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton, if they justly did something wrong, absolutely. But just to lock them up because they're a political enemy, now he finds out what it's like. I want to be really clear. I'm the poster boy for following Donald Trump. I mean, I am the person who, if Donald Trump has a target in the evangelical movement, I grew, you know, grew up. Well, he got 80%, so he has a really broad target. <laughs> I'm just telling you, though. I mean, I don't know how much you guys get. But, I mean, like, I, I can identify with getting – Every single thing that we're talking about, these aren't like, for me at least, they're not they're not philosophical points. Every single one of them are things I've had to actually wrestle with because I feel this pull. I mean, and it's really easy. I mean, I have to actually step back because I wanted to be pulled into going to lock her up. And, and like I said, and you have to actually sit there and go, I have guilt because I didn't care about justice. Now, now I want to go, you people don't care about justice. The people who are wanting to lock him up. You don't care about justice. And to be righteous, I have to go. Neither did I. I. <laughs> I didn't care about justice. And I don't think they're Christians. But I want to say I am. 
You know what I mean? And so, mm-hmm. and there's this part of it where you have to go, wait a minute. And if you're not willing to do that, if you're so caught up that you can't stop, something's wrong. And you should, I mean, this is a real check moment for you. Do you go, wait a minute, I'm guilty. And so, I mean, I think it's just, it's one of those things where God gives you these moments where you can go, hold on. I don't care about justice. I mean, actually changing your political views should be part of repentance. Because if, if your political views aren't about morality, who cares? And if you're a Christian and you don't think these things are moral and you don't understand what morality is, then it's just a game and everything's available. And that's the way the enemies think. That's the way you people you think are your enemies is it's just a game to them. And so if you're playing that game, you're as evil as anyone else. And who cares what you do? You're going to hell. Vote for whoever you want. And it's a game with no rules, right? Because in the Christians, right, the rule is to win, yes. As opposed to Christians are supposed to be going, the rules are what really matters, right? God calls us to walk in righteousness, you know, do justly, love mercy, walk humbly before your God. Well, do justly is the only one that's like actually what you're supposed to like be spending your time doing is justice. And yet we turn around and chant locker up. That's just, that's just so unchristian and i don't think the christian community goes wait a second this is really this is really contrary to what christ came for give her a fair trial just doesn't have the same (laughs) people can lie to themselves about him showing honor to covenants because they do look at their his children and he did raise his children and his children are following after him and dealing with him and so that they can go oh this is a family man even though he's like destroyed multiple marriages, he doesn't believe in covenants. He doesn't hold to covenants. He he's just terrible in what he did to families. But evangelicals are so eager to look for any excuse to say this is a this is a you know a, a man that you can build a society off of. Well, he, be, he believes in a covenant of loyalty to him, to him, not the other way right, around, right. not a, not a dual covenant, but a covenant of Mary loyalty Trump. to him. She's she is on the outside, right? I mean, you know, I mean, it's not it's not it's not a two way covenant, right? And so you just look at how he, and so all these Christians that say, yeah, we support family values, they don't look at Donald Trump and go, how could we support him? Instead, they go, yeah, we support family values, and and we need to recognize when we buy this, it like ripples through. One of the other things that I think that people look to Donald Trump for because of his boldness and because of his um, – because he's willing to go out there and antagonize people is that you know they read places about, well, I find a man that will stand in the gap. And they look at Donald Trump and they go, here's a man that will stand in the gap. Here's a man that will – will block the the Democrats who are coming, this this liberal horde that's coming to destroy us, and he'll stand in the in the, the gap there and prevent it from happening. And I think again there's this attitude that, you know, God's looking and saying, you know, Jesus Christ is the man that stood in the gap, but then he also we're supposed to be the people that stand in the gap. And so there's this transference of it to Again, this is what we're supposed to be doing, but Donald Trump is doing something similar, so we show honor to him because he's the one that's actually standing up there and stopping them. Instead of actually going, you know, who's supposed to be the warriors? Who's supposed to put on the full armor of God? The evangelicals are. 
So why are we looking to somebody else to stand in the gap? I mean, and there's a part of it where, I mean, one of the things we talk about a lot is when we don't understand Scripture, when we don't understand doctrine, Scripture kind of becomes, Scripture can become like an image. Scripture can become, you know, one of the power of images, we did an episode on it, is that an image doesn't have any meaning to it. It just has symbols to it. And all it has are those symbols. And so when you don't understand what it actually means to stand in the gap, when you don't actually understand what that is, so you, you see somebody who's taking bullets, you know, who's willing to fight, and you go, that's what that is. And there's just this, you know, I mean, that's just a real problem. And when in reality, when you go to vote, you're more likely to be, if you actually vote with integrity, that's more like someone standing in the, I mean, that's a better picture from the scriptural viewpoint of someone standing in the gap of doing what's right when everyone, when no one else is, much more than what Donald Trump is doing. Right. Because in the end, when you, you know, to be someone who's standing in the gap, you have to actually be like Christ. You have to be someone who obeys and does what they were sent to do, who, is, who comes and fulfills what God has asked of them, and even down to the point of even to death. And so there's this, there's this part of it where the only reason he can be in that position, the only reason people can see that is because we actually don't care about what God's Word really says. We don't care about the details. We just want the picture. We want, you know, it's, there's an old Teddy Roosevelt quote about, you know, the guy in the ring. We see the man in the ring who's receiving the blows and the slings and the arrows. He's, he's you know, and he's talking about he's done more than the person who's never done anything. And so, the, I mean. The man in the arena. The man in the arena. Yeah, the man in the ring, the man in the arena who's in there. And he's, he's done more than even the guy who loses. He's done more than the person who never ventures anything and doesn't taste the bitterness of defeat. And there's this part where we go, yeah, that's standing in the gap. And it's like. No, that's just humanism. <laughs> that, that's you're you're just worshiping man, and now you've called it Christianity, and that's part of the problem with the church is we don't care about the truth of God's word. We don't care about what God actually says, and we just want people to do what we know we're supposed to do, and so we admire people that that inform, not in substance. Right. But informed, do what Christians are supposed to do. And so people like to look and admire him instead of going, wait a second, what am I doing? That's well, what, what did he actually to... do? Well, <laughs> but I think even more importantly is the evangelicals need to start going, what am I doing? Yes. Because that's actually the problem. The problem that the reason that people are looking towards Donald Trump as somebody who stands in the gap is because evangelicals won't get out of their pew and do anything. Right. They don't stand up. They just sit back and do absolutely nothing. And then they go, oh, but look at Donald Trump. He's standing in the gap. Well, if evangelicals just decided, for instance, that they wouldn't vote for anybody who believed in murdering babies, the politics would completely change. The Republican Party, at least, would be 100% pro-life. But no, the evangelicals aren't willing to stand up and do anything. And then they look at Donald Trump. They go, oh, but look, he is. As if they can vicariously feel like they're they're doing what they should be doing because he's doing something, even though he's doing the wrong thing. At least he's doing something. And then they complain about all the rhinos. Well, you know what? Should it be rhinos? No, <laughs> kinos. <laughs> Christians Trump in name only. <laughs> yeah, so it should be, be kinos. <laughs> well, whatever. <laughs> Sinos. <laughs> but anyway, the the church is happy with Christians in name only, and then we get upset with Republicans in name only. 
I mean, this is ridiculous. Maybe the Christians should actually start acting like Christians and then stop complaining about the Republicans not acting like who they think Republicans should be. Well, if they start to actually act like Christians, the other problem would be solved. Right. But yet, instead of them standing in the gap, what they go is, at least Donald Trump's doing something to make themselves feel better because they're not doing anything. And that's not nothing to, for at least explaining the psychological motivation to look and say, oh, you know, politicians have done nothing for, look at where the Republican Party has us after all of these attempts, look at all of the bad nominees we've had. He's different. And mm-hmm. that appeal is, there's an appeal to somebody who's different. Right. And I mean, especially like the, all these people kept saying, yes, I will nominate Supreme Court justices that won't overturn Roe versus Wade, and they all lied, including Reagan. Reagan knew that, that Sandra Day O'Connor was pro Roe versus Wade. All the evidence is that he knew way before he nominated her, but yet he nominates her anyway, knowing that it won't be overturned. And then all of a sudden, Donald Trump comes and does it. So there is an aspect that that Donald Trump, because of his pride, because of his, his, his uh, character— He wants to have people kick back against him, so he'll stand and he'll do some things that other people wouldn't do because he he wants the applause. But I think people then turn around and go, that means that, like, for Roe versus Wade, that somehow this means that he's righteous in the eyes of God. Or even pro-life. Or even pro-life. I mean, but I do think, you know, you look at Matthew 6, 5, and when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the street that they may be seen by men. Surely I say to you, they have their reward. Donald Trump wants to do those things so that he gets notoriety. It's probably the right word. So that he gets applause, so that he gets recognition, so everybody talks about him on the media, you know, on media all the time. And he's gotten his reward from God for what he did for Roe versus Wade, because I think he did it mostly just to, you know, just to go, look, I'm different. And it was a good difference, but it also doesn't mean that he was righteous in any way. And he's still getting his reward when he's in court and people are talking about him. That's what he want. That's what he wanted. And he's still getting it. Right. When we think about standing in the gap, the idea is that the, the government is trying to explode in size. It's trying to, to be in control of everything. And Donald Trump was standing there and he was resisting it. Well, that's a, like a complete fabrication that just isn't what he ended up doing in reality. In reality, when COVID came along, they said, you know, his advisors, and you read books, and his advisors are going to Jared Kushner, who he basically handed over everything, and said, most important thing is for me to get reelected. And then they didn't hesitate to try to take away all rights of citizens. They suspended meeting of churches. I mean, they they had no hesitation to enhance tyranny however they could. Let's print as much money as we can. So to turn around and pretend like Donald Trump held to resisting tyranny, not at all. It's just blatantly false. It was when he thought that he would get applause for it, he did it. And when he thought he wouldn't get applause for it, he didn't do it. And there was plenty of evidence that it was a bad idea from the beginning, but he wanted to protect himself so that he could get reelected. And everybody was saying, you won't have any chance to get reelected if this ends up being as bad as it could be. And so he destroyed the economy that he did really real things that helped it in the three years before that. But to act like he's standing in the gap resisting this, this liberal onslaught just isn't true. It's just a complete misunderstanding of what Donald Trump was and what he did. And people don't 
And this is this is one of the issues is people don't actually hold him accountable for that. They don't actually look at it and go when you look at him you have to look at him and go when he was in really when he was put in a difficult situation this is where he ran. This is what he did. This is how he thought. Because the other thing I mean like when you look at did he nominate those pro-life judges because he said abortion should absolutely be stopped. You know that you know he didn't. You know that. I mean, it's very clear from his because position. Now it's, yeah. That's not what he did it for. So you can't go. He was completely principled on those. And so when you start putting together this picture, you ha- I mean, we actually have a picture of the man Donald Trump is. We've seen it. And so you really just have to go, am I, am I willing to go and continue to, to believe the rhetoric and believe the hype and keep saying these things? Or am I going to actually look at him and go, oh, wait a minute. I know what he is. I, it's, it's, if I didn't know it before, if I wasn't willing to believe it based on his life, at this point, the experiment's been run. You've seen him. And are you actually willing to judge him on the merits that he should be judged on? And, you know, we look at where the country is. We look at the direction things are going. We look at the expansion of the, you know, it's a censorship from the government level. I mean, that's Donald Trump. I'm not saying President Biden hasn't gone further, but that's Donald Trump. So don't complain about how Facebook was censoring things. That was Donald Trump. So don't complain about when Biden does it because he didn't start it. It was done before. So so much for let's, you know, that he stands in the gap, that he's resisting tyranny. How about shutting down churches? He was pushing hard for shutting down churches. He was telling states they had to shut down churches. And does the church care more about the worship of God or do they care more about money? Because we know where Donald Trump is. He wouldn't hesitate to shut down churches in order to, to, you know, for his political agenda, for his, you know, the the level of evidence that he had that he was making decisions on. He right. didn't consider that to be a weighty matter to shut down churches and to push for states to shut down churches. And that should have been a really weighty matter. We're back to the same idea. What does the church think's more important? Is it tax on the church or the fact that he makes some money? I mean, and you should. I mean, this isn't about tyranny in particular, but it is about something that you know his views on homosexuality. You know, I mean, everybody everybody acts like there are a lot of people who act like he's against homosexuality. He's very openly pro homosexuality. He's very openly pro sodomy. Now, I don't know what he'll come out and say tomorrow, but it shouldn't matter. (laughs) He was the first president who, when he was elected into office, was in favor of homosexual marriage. Right. It was an epiphany that Obama had to come to. Obama did not have that opinion going into office. He came to it afterwards. Well, he didn't have the stated opinion coming into office. Fine. I think his, it's probably his pretty stated careful. opinion was against it. Right. But, but you know, but Donald, Donald Trump is the first person that the American people picked to go into office who was in favor of homosexual marriage when he went in. Uh, he appoints the first a homosexual ambassador, I think. No, he, he really liked Richard Grinnell or whatever his name is. I mean, he he had him as you know appointed him to other positions. He considered him one of his closest friends. Yeah, and and there was a I saw some conservative commentator lauding Trump. You know, like today saying you know uh, another African country legalized homosexuality. This is great. You know, Trump's work is continuing, and the there's there's a lot of truth to that. And so one of the ways that Donald Trump manipulates the media is when. You know, the media pushes back and they all, they say he's a homophobe, right? I mean, that's one of the things that they keep saying is he's in his position has never been that. 
ever. I mean, he's that's just not who Donald Trump is. But yet, to win the evangelical vote, when they lie about him, he just lets them lie about him, and he doesn't ever put up a defense to say, no, look at my record, because all he has to do is say, look at my record. Instead, he just lets them say it because he will hold that position, and most evangelicals don't care what he really believes. It's what the media says. And so the media says, oh, he's, he's a homophobe, so they go, rah, 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 as opposed to going, which even homophobes. You know, homophobes a bad term in the sense that you can be very anti-homosexual without being afraid of them. But the media doesn't believe that. And so, but you look at it and, and it's just this, Donald Trump doesn't hesitate to manipulate people. And one of the ways that he can manipulate the evangelicals is just let the media talk about it as if it's something, and if it ever really matters, he can point to his record. His record was incredibly strong towards homosexuality, towards supporting homosexuality. Right. And then, and then really when they attack him, it basically goes back to they use, we go, he's being persecuted. And so because he let, you know what I mean? It's just. Right. I mean, Even though he's pro-homosexual, he gets attacked for being anti-homosexual. And then the evangelicals go, oh, look, this is why he's being attacked. When everybody knows he's pro-homosexual, it bothers to look. Right. It's not like the media doesn't know that. The media all knows that he's been pro-homosexual for, for decades. I mean, and, and that's one other thing that I think that that another reason that the evangelicals like to follow Donald Trump is because they see the media as as their enemy, that the media is very much against it. And there has been nobody in my lifetime that came even close to being able to manipulate the media as well as Donald Trump. And so there's some aspect of it that the evangelicals like him because they go, all, all the media is against us. And look at how much Donald Trump can manipulate the media without any problems whatsoever. He can just play them. The number of hours of free coverage he got in 2016 was just, I mean, absolutely incredible how much he could just make fools of the media. But that's not a good reason to choose somebody to be a president because he can make fools of the media. I mean, because in, a lot of he was making a fool of himself, and a lot of it too. Which right, because basically what he said is he wants out. You know, the total minutes of broadcast time to be on him, and he didn't care how he got it. But evangelicals don't really care either. We go how terrible the media is because they lie, because they distort, because they twist things, and then Donald Trump lies and distorts and twists things so the media covers him, so he, everybody goes, look at how he manipulated the media. But he's just doing the same thing they do, but when Donald Trump does it, it's okay because he's kind of you know tweaking their nose versus when the media does it, oh, look how terrible the media is. Yeah, I mean, you know, talking about, you know, manipulation, you know, a lot of, there's also... A lot of people are convinced that Donald Trump is a Christian when there's just no, you know, zero, absolutely zero evidence for that. I mean, you have you have him going out there, you know, during the uh, the Floyd riots and he has the police clear the area and then he has his picture with the Bible. And that's I mean, that's like the closest he's gotten to the Bible in quite a long time. I think he really likes two Corinthians. What he yeah. said. No, that, I, that actually, I don't, that's, that's, I don't have a problem with that. Some people call it two Corinthians. I know they do. I know. But I I'm just saying. Actually, I do not have a problem I don't have a problem with, with his saying of two Corinthians. All I meant is just the fact of he just came out and said he likes something, and people go, he has a favorite exactly. verse. No but, no, but his favorite verse was, don't give way to envy. 
which is not a Bible verse. Oh, oh you get it. I, mean, I never heard him say no, that. Yeah, really say yeah that. he said that. They said, what's your favorite Bible verse? Don't give way to envy. Like, that's not in the Bible. You could ask a lot of really bad Christians, what's your favorite Bible verse? And they can tell you John three sixteen. But he has to come up with one, and he comes up with something that's not in the Bible. <laughs> None of the people that ask him the question recognize the Well, a, a lot of people it. did. But, well, later, but I bet the people yeah, asking yeah, the question but, did not. But it's a gotcha question. But And you have people ask him, you know, have you ever, you know, what do you ask God for forgiveness? He's like, forgiveness? Why do I need to ask God for forgiveness? I go, I eat the cracker, I drink the wine, I'm good. I mean, that's, you know, forgiveness is such a basic thing. Even a very liberal Christian would say, yes, I do things wrong and I need to ask forgiveness. But he cannot say that he asked for forgiveness. And, you know, the church that he goes to, uh, you know, Norman Vincent Peale, who liberal Christianity was not good enough for him. He had to mix it with pop psychology. It's like so far from anything that's Christian at all. And that was the church that he that he was a part of. That, that was his biggest religious influence. And it's just, you know, and then... Archie Bunker. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, and then, and then, and then you know, then everyone's wanting to say he's become Christian since that, but there's just no evidence for that. I mean, it's just a lie. And, it, and he's not even, doesn't even have to, he has to put in so little effort to manipulate evangelicals on that. It's not that he has these carefully crafted statements with all this biblical language. He doesn't even put in enough effort to quote a singular Bible verse. And people think he's a Christian. A singular one, not a single one, just a singular one. <laughs> single or singular. <laughs> And I mean, you look at like George Bush. I mean, George Bush was very crafty in, in how he would win the evangelicals because he'd take lines from hymns and in the end he'd switch him from being about God to being about man because he was a humanist. So he constantly did this. This was and the evangelicals go, oh, that's the beginning of a, or of a hymn, a line in a hymn. This must be he must be a godly man when he like distorts it. But like you said, Donald Trump doesn't even bother to do that. It's it's amazing to me that evangelicals anybody would be out there going this is a Christian. There's he's married three times and he's never said he's repented. He's never said that he turned from his sin. He's he's if committed he adultery. From anything, anything, right? Anything, anything ever, including where not even forgetting. You know, he's never admitted that he's made a mistake. <laughs> I mean, it's just this is just he's so anti-Christian. But yet people don't look at him as being opposed to Christ when everything he's doing is opposed to Christ. It's all about him. He's willing to, to destroy the country if it somehow makes him get more applause. That's what it looks like. And so how people are turning around and pretending like he's a Christian, it's just it's just that they have no idea who Christians are. We talked, you know, and when we were t- starting, we we're going, you know, there's a lot of liberals that say, how could a Christian vote for Donald Trump? And and one of the questions is how many of these people, if you can't recognize Donald Trump's not a Christian, don't think you're a Christian. You should just punt. You do not know who Christ is. Try reading the Bible for once. I mean, one of the things we've kind of been that I've kind of been trying to bring out through here is it's so easy to get sucked up in, in following after someone, and it's worth asking questions. We did an episode on wolves, and we talked about how. Wolves are really good. Wolves in the church, false teachers, they're really good at figuring out how to get you to follow after them by just by luring you with good things. And people talk about how that, you know, we're not trying to elect, you know, a pastor in chief. But there's this part of it where, I mean, in the end, we're not so, I mean, 
we're also not trying to like elect someone who's totally against God. But shouldn't they at least say we are trying to elect someone who is a deacon of God, which is what the Bible says. That's what they're called. They're a minister of God. And so the people who say we're not trying to elect a pastor, fine. You're trying to elect a deacon. That's biblical language. And I think there's this part of it where we forget that part of the nature of the presidency has become, it's really become for the last, for a while, we've been electing wolves. We've been electing ravenous wolves because the thing about a wolf is he wants a following. He wants people just to follow after him. He's not actually, he doesn't have real principles. He may say good things along the way. He may be interested in, he may, he may be interested in your well-being in some sense, but it's for himself ultimately. Ultimately, it is for him. And there's just a real problem with Donald Trump because in the end, the reason why Donald Trump would want America to be successful is because he'd want to be able to say, I made it great again. I did this. I elevated America. I push it in this direction. I caused these things. I, but, and everything he's done has been from that direction. Everything he's done, he wants the glory for these things. And there's just a real, we've, we've reconciled ourselves to picking wolves. And I don't think we, we don't see any problem with that. We don't have any way back. We don't have a path away from it. And the answer is really clear. Trust God. And we went from picking wolves in sheep's clothing to picking wolves without sheep's clothing. Right. There's a lot of it. Because before we expected a certain veneer and that you have to pay lip service to certain things. But now we realize that it was was a veneer. But instead of going to the truth, we're just going to say, actually, we don't even care. You don't even need to do that. We're providing the veneer. We are, we are coming up with the justifications for why he is moral or Christian or family we're, values. We're the sheep's clothing. We, we, are, we are the ones who are holding up the sheep's clothing and looking through it and no, saying— No, he's wearing us. I mean, that yeah. is—I mean, that's—and that's a real—the church has wrapped itself around them to give them respectability. And what happens is, is the church loses its—the salt loses its savor, and God says you're worth nothing. You have no holiness. You don't know what holiness is. You're going to be trodden underfoot of men. So let me ask a question. Let's say, let's say that Trump wins the primary, wins the Republican primary, and let's say you followed along with us and you are not complicit in that. You didn't vote for him. You don't think it's a good thing. You think it's a bad thing. What's a Christian supposed to do at that point? How are they supposed to think? How are they supposed to talk to friends and family? What's a Christian supposed to do if Trump is back in play? Proverbs 29, 2. When the wicked rule, the people groan. When the righteous rule, the people rejoice. Don't vote for a wicked man like Donald Trump because he will produce groaning. We're looking at what's happening in our country right now, and we're saying, oh, President Biden did this, President Biden did that. Donald Trump set it all up. When the wicked rule... The people groan. If you want to stop having our nation groan, start picking some righteous people. And if, you know, and the lesser of two evils, you know, is an important conversation. But don't forget. You were just trying to get a podcast reference out. <laughs> we did one on the lesser of two evils. <laughs> but, but, but an important, you know, even if, okay, if you say there's two options, I'm going to vote for one of the two options. Don't forget that it's evil. And I think that's the and even bigger, I think voting for the lesser of two evils is a big problem. But the problem is we, have, we as the evangelical church, are not only picking the lesser of two evils, we are saying because we picked it, now it is good. And so, 
you know, I, you know, I can, if you, if someone says I'm going to vote for Trump because, you know, he's a bad guy, but you know, I think Biden's a little worse. Okay. okay I can respect that. I disagree, but there's, you know, I can understand the reasoning there, but if now, but if then a year later you got your MAGA hat on and this, that, and the other, and you're all in on Trump, you know, you've compl- you've lost, you've lost the plot completely. And hey, I think the evangelical church has lost the plot completely. Anyway, the purpose of God, of the church, the purpose of all of creation is to glorify God. And when we go, well, we have to vote for Donald Trump because otherwise, you know. Joe Biden's going to cause our economy to collapse. Well, you don't care about the glory of God. Whatever you do, whatever you drink, whenever you eat, whatever you drink, do all things to the glory of God. And we intentionally then go, but when we vote, we're voting for the glory of our pocketbook. We're voting for the glory of the economy. And we explicitly reject God. And that should frighten us because God will continue to judge us because we explicitly reject him. And what's really sad is you go to other countries, and other countries look and go, that's what a Christian country looks like. And they point to the United States. And they're still pointing to the United States, even though we've embraced sodomy, even though we have all this transgender garbage, even though we murder baby after baby after baby. These other nations still look to us and say, that's what a Christian nation looks like. That's how the evangelical church is glorifying God. We deserve the wrath of God to be poured out on us as a nation because we love our pocketbook a lot more than we love God. The church in America hates God, and we should recognize that, and you can see it in the polling places. The church needs to repent and turn back and stop loving the world and the things of the world and start loving God. One of the reasons that evangelicals like Donald Trump is because he's doing things that have this appearance of doing what they should do. We should go back and remember what we're supposed to do. Ezekiel 22, 29 through 31. The people of the land have used oppressions, committed robbery and mistreated the poor and needy, and they wrongfully oppressed the stranger. So I sought for a man among them who will make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it. But I found no one. Therefore, I have poured out my indignation on them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath and have recompensed their deeds on their own head, says the Lord God. Instead of looking towards Donald Trump, if you want to solve the problems in this country, stop oppression, deal with the poor, care for the stranger. These are the th- Do justly. These are the things that we need to go back to. We think Donald Trump will solve the problems in this country. He never will because the problems in this country are spiritual. And they're spiritual because the church is not standing in the gap like it's supposed to. We're the body of Christ. We have the responsibility to stand in the gap and not look towards Donald Trump to do it. He doesn't know God. Thanks for joining us. This has been The Conquering Truth, a project of Reformation Baptist Church. If you found this helpful, you can visit us online at theconqueringtruth.com and subscribe here or in your favorite podcast app. Thanks for watching.